2: You're listening to Following On with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. England's collapse in Rajcott saw them lose the third test by 434 runs, a record defeat to go 2-1 down in the series, and we'll get the thoughts of England captain Ben Stokes. We'll also hear exclusively from England head coach Brendan McCullum and get his thoughts on the possibility of Ben Stokes bowling in this series Indian cricket writer and broadcaster Chetan Narula will join us after BCCI Secretary Jay Shah warned of severe implications for players who miss domestic cricket to prioritise other cricket. And uh, we'll round up the week's other big stories and pay tribute to South African great Mike Proctor, one of the great all-rounders who sadly passed away this week. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to Following On. Let's uh, start off then um, in Rajkot, uh, metaphorically. We almost got there, but um, we instead uh, watched it from the cold of England rather than the 36 degrees in Rajkot. We'll hear from Ben Stokes in just a moment. Um, So many talking points. Um, The focus, as so often in these things, is is on what happened at the end on the final day um, and a record defeat, 434 runs blown away. By 120 for just 122, but I'm I'm quite certain that uh, you will agree that that's not where England lost the Test match.
3: No, they didn't. They lost it again. They lost it being you know a little bit smarter, and they they could easily have put themselves in such a driving position in this Test match Test series. They lost it at 224 for four, when, when they capitulated and. They lost the leg like, sixteen wickets for two hundred runs when the opposition only had ten men. And that's happened before. You know, we lost the Ashes largely down. For me, largely down to the fact that 180 for one, Nathan Lyon walks off at, at the at, at Lords, and England don't capitalise and seize on that moment. I'm not questioning Joe Roots batting. Joe Roots played nearly 140 test matches, averaging fifty, the greatest one of the greatest of all time. Um, I'd question the timing of, of that shot. Yeah, you know, especially against Bummer's opening spell. Get over that. Yeah, you know, get Bummer into his second and his third spell, even though one of them's always a decent one with reverse swing. And get the spin bowlers bowling old day with no Ashwin. You're just thinking uh, a little bit smarter cricket and England might have been in a different position. So for me it was lost in the first innings, always about first innings runs. I thought they were excellent from a fielding and bowling point of view in that first innings. I thought Mark Wood bowled really really well. Spinners bowled nicely, Jimmy contained. England kept India to 400, was at under 450? So to keep them under 450 it, on that surface, at that size of that ground, especially with the history of the game and the, the numbers, and I'm thinking, do you know what? England have got a great chance here. At the end of the day's play, Duckett's going well. End of day two, you're thinking England could get a lead here and, and really drive the series in their advantage. And, well... In a bit later in England have completely capitulated and blown away every chance they had for me in this series. I still think they've got a chance, but I'm just not sure as much as Ben Stokes goes down the I can win from anywhere, you've got to get your players to believe you. And they do believe him. But can you pick them up again after four hundred and thirty four run defeat? He is superhuman, but the the human element of that I think might have ramifications inside that dressing room.
2: Do you know, for the first time ever, I actually believe that there won't be psychological wounding. Um, And, you know, I actually do believe that Ben Stokes and this team don't care whether they lose by 434 runs or four runs. I never, ever thought that, that I'd say that. And, you know, I mean, all of my history conditions me to believe that when you get beaten by 434 runs, your pride will take a long, long time to recover, but I, I don't see it in in these players. I, you know, I think they they really can just put it in the past. Yeah, they're good at that. They're good at putting
3: it behind them and in the past. But well, I think in India against this bowling unit, I think that might be easier. It might be a lot harder to do than than actually the you know the words that you know they keep coming out with and the saying. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it matters whether they lose by four runs or they lose by, you know, 434. They are very, very good at, at picking themselves up, dusting themselves down, going again as though they've either, you know, you wouldn't know if they've just won or they've just lost. But I think the manner of the, the 122 and the scars that individual battles have had on each other, i.e. the opposition has had on the England batting unit after um, ball that for 122, they they last a little bit longer. And I think that's why this might be a, a little bit more time to get over this this defeat. When you when you look at Ben and you look at the group that he's got, you might see a few changes for this next game. Uh, we might see Dan Lawrence. I, I'm assuming we're going to see Ollie Robinson for the first time. Did they go for the extra spin bowler? All that will be in their mind. I think they're going to try and somehow keep Mark Wood in the team. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens at Ranchi. He needs to win the toss. That's what he needs to do. You know, and, you know make it easier for him. Uh, it'll be you know allows you down to to winning the toss. But I still think from a psychological point of view, there were times in that game where you go, you're gonna you can drive the series in your advantage here. And unfortunately, like the summer, that's when sometimes this. Outlook of cricket can be a little bit reckless and a little bit brainless. But I'd far, you know, much far watch this team play the way they're playing. And the their the sort of bounce back ability for that that new word that was used many, many years ago. They're very, very good at that. So, you know, watch this space when they get to Ranchi. They will, I think there will be um, the same spring in the step of Ben Stokes when he walks out for the toss.
2: I just hope that this England cricket team doesn't turn out to be like the Newcastle team of the '90s, Harmy, that were the most watchable, memorable yeah. football team I've ever seen. Everybody wanted to watch them. They didn't win anything.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really hope that's not the case. I hope that they do shut the back door every now and again. But unfortunately, you know, for Kevin Keegan's team, he didn't know, you know, where the door was, or the you know the hinges used to get blown off. Sometimes when you talk to the defenders in that group. I think England need to learn. They need to learn to play that, that little bit smarter in certain situations, not all the time, because this is great cricket, but I think in certain situations that the element of recklessness sometimes comes in, and it costs them. And, and uh, do you know what man as I sat there going 556 to win, England are going to get 500 in full, just short. Are they going to get blown out in a session? And obviously, it happened to be in the session. But the test match before, when we were in in Vishkapatnam, you know, they made a valiant effort, a great effort, trying to to sort of chase down, you know, what they did in in that fourth inning. Um, and I thought again, it, it wouldn't surprise me if this goes to the big middle of fifth day. England get four fifty five hundred, and people were dreaming that England could chase 550, 556 to win. But also in the back of mind, you were thinking the wheels could come off here, um, and they came off with such a gusto. They got bowled out. Well, were fifty for seven, bowled out for one twenty-two, and that didn't surprise me. That
2: okay, this was what Ben Stokes said about the style of cricket afterwards.
4: It's just about us accepting that we're going to have bad days, you know, regardless of how you choose to play. Um, we've got a style of, of cricket that we know suits us as individuals and as a team, and you know, it doesn't always pay off. And we're we're realistic. We are realistic to that, um, but we know if we keep going out with the best intentions to push the game forward like we want to. Um, you know, when a couple of guys have their day out, um, we're a very hard team to play against.
2: That was England captain Ben Stokes, um, understandably or predictably justifying England's approach. Um, there was a, a little bit of a distraction. We'll just uh, mention this. We won't focus on it. I think it was unfortunate that um, that Stokes and McCullum were seen talking to the match referee because then they were asked about it and then this whole subject of DRS came up. And uh, and Stokes did say, look, it's got nothing to do with the result. We we know we've lost by four four 430 runs. But he was saying that umpire's call should be removed, in his opinion. And it became a little bit of a distraction. England had three what they thought were very unfortunate or even unlucky umpire's call decisions go against them. But I, again, like I said, it's, it's it's a distraction, but it seems... To me, that he's not quite understanding why umpires' call is there um, and why it's supposed to cover any slight marginal technical difficulties that DRS has. You know, that, that what did that say? That, that percentage margin for error? Is it like 0.5%, something like that?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a, such a great area that, you know, we talked about it on a breakfast show. With Jeff Stellan, and it's like football's got so many grey areas when they are talking about VAR. Cricket hasn't got too many because the majority of them are line decisions. But this one has got a little bit of, you know, of a grey area to it. And the umpire's call for me comes down to whether the umpire's good enough to make the right decision in the first place. Don't be too critical of, of the umpires, you know. But I look at this game and go, you know, Akuma Dharmasina and and, and Joel Wilson, I think they're two of the worst umpires on the circuit. I don't think they're very good. And I think, especially at home, buckle under the pressure of you know the the you know of, of India, not have anything to do with India, you know, because of the powerhouse they are. I just think they're very, very home advantage wherever they are in the world, these two types of umpires. So the umpires call is always gonna go against, I think for England. And like Ben said, we're not feeling sorry for ourselves. This is not why we lost the game. But if you're Zach Crawley, you're going, hold on. I'm in a decent run of form here. I've come off the back of a good Ashes series. He's got two 70s in this this series so far, and he's been given out two absolute shockers on umpire's call. And, you know, that swings and roundabouts, I'm sure. But I, I'm not a big fan of the umpire's call bit. Yeah, even though I'm a bowler, the minute the, the umpire puts his finger up and the ghost umpire's call, then the stumps get bigger. So what the answer is, I'm not so sure. But well, I'm, I'm, I'm with Ben here, I'm not a big fan of, of the uh, of the umpire's call. Same as a soft signal, you know, make an umpire, make the decision, just get it right. And unfortunately, I don't think the umpires have got it right in this series more often than they've, uh, they've been wrong, sorry, in the series more often than they've got it right.
2: Okay, let's finish this section then by listening to what Stokes had to say about DRS after the game.
4: I think you just want some kind of, I don't know, like, level playing field, I guess. You know, I think the umpires have an incredibly hard job as it is, especially out in India when the ball's spinning and bouncing, sometimes not. Um, My personal opinion is that if the ball's hitting the stumps, the ball's hitting the stumps. You know, I think that should take away uh, umpire's call if I'm being perfectly honest. But... Yeah, I don't want to get too much into it because then it sounds like we're moaning about that. That's why we lost.
2: That was uh, England captain Ben Stokes um, emphasising that those are his personal views, um, although I'm pretty sure that (laughs) his teammates will share them with him. Um, And a reminder you can hear live and exclusive ball by ball commentary of the fourth test between India and England right here on Talksport 2 starting this Friday. You're listening to Following On on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And a reminder, you can now also watch us on YouTube. Just head over to the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel and subscribe. OK, let's hear now from England head coach, Test head coach Brendan McCullum. He's been reflecting on last week's defeat in the third test with TalkSport's man in India, Cameron Ponsonby. Brendan, we're a
1: day out from the Rajkot Test. What's your reflections on the last four days? Yeah, obviously
5: we came out on the wrong side of it. Um, you know we were beaten comprehensively, and, and you know that's as uh, disappointing as what that is. We put our hands up and say, "Well played, India," and and we will look forward to our next challenge and next opportunity. But um, obviously there's a couple of a couple of moments throughout the, this last test where you know we didn't quite get it right, um, but we're still
1: very confident we'll be able to bounce back in the next one. Uh, ben opened the door to bowling. Um, in his interview with TV after the match, was that something you were aware of? Have you spoken to him about potentially bowling in the next test?
5: Oh, of course, I was aware of it. We talk,
1: you know, all the time.
5: We're captain-coach our uh, relationship and, and good friends as well. So of course, you know, I was aware of it. But you know, I think it's first of all, it's brilliant that he's got himself in a position. what, eight, nine weeks on from a knee operation, because of the hard work that he's put in, where bowling's even potentially on the on the table. So. You know, we'll just have to wait and see um, Ben's very clever um, he wouldn't do anything that should, um, which he doesn't think is, is right to do um, so if he
1: does decide to bowl then then you you get a pretty good idea that his knee feels good After the match there was a bit of a drama with DRS you guys had a chat with the match referee uh, Stokes has gone on to say that he thinks umpire's call should be scrapped as a concept is that something you'd agree with?
5: Yeah look I don't really understand the system anyway to be honest <laughs> it's um, but, you know, if Stokes he's, He would have put a lot of thought into it. Um, if he's saying that, then, yeah, I'll I'll agree with him. Um, you know, I think, obviously, there's a couple of decisions in the last few tests that have have been slightly, um, you know, 50-50 calls, which which have had quite big impacts on the test matches as well. But, you know, it's just a bit of an element of frustration. I think the one on Zach Crawley yesterday was, was probably the most frustrating because, obviously you know like he, he's in such such good touch and he's a he's a very good player and the information that we got back from from uh, the match ref and and also um, the DRS people was that whilst there was a clear gap between the ball and the wicket um, the ball and the stump on the images that that was actually incorrect and the data said that it hit the stump so that's a little hard from a layman's point of view to understand how that works um, hence the, the want for more clarification
1: you guys talk about not wanting to get too low or too high in in moments like that how difficult is that much to keep
5: yeah look i'm pretty relaxed and
1: and everything in life as well right um but it's it's more
5: it's trying to work it out <laughs> i was trying to my own head sort of go what's this, the, the ball hasn't actually hit the stump <laughs> so i was trying to i was working out how you get out L W. but anyway that is what it is um you know, you don't get angry or anything, it's more bewilder- bewilderment in a situation like that. But look now, again, that's not why we lost the Test match, and, and we lost comprehensively, so you know, we, we put our hands up there. Um, but our focus is very much on what we do in the coming days to make sure the health of the Army is, is strong, and, and we give ourselves every chance to, to adapt to the conditions at Ranchi and,
1: and bounce back in the series. You're a team who doesn't reflect, or maybe a better word is a team that doesn't regret... Um, at what point, as a coach, does, does that change for you? There was obviously two quite dramatic batting collapses. At what point would you feel the need to step in and say, "Actually, this needs to change"? I feel like you guys have gone away from the processes that we want you to kind of follow. Uh, the only time would be if, if I thought guys were were thinking,
5: a about maybe outside noise, um, b not being totally present in the moment, or c being too timid to take uh, to make decisions and, and commit to them. Um, Otherwise, you know, if, if the guys, if they can tick off all those things, um, and it's just hasn't worked out, then so be it. You know, you don't, you don't do regret in those kind of situations. So, you know, obviously, that they're, they're the, the key checkpoints for us, and um, the things which, as a coach, you, you go through as well. Um, not just as a group, uh, as a batting group, but also as batting individuals, too. And you try and make some adjustments when required. But look, again, I'm really, really confident that. Our guys are going well. Um, we've had a tough test match here. Um, it's a tough place to play when you lose a toss and, and bowl as well and that sort of heat. So, you know, the guys I thought stuck at it really well. Um, all bounce back.
1: Looking ahead to Ranchi, it was brutally hot out in the field in Rajcourt. Quick turnaround. Is there going to be changes to be made? Will Mark Wood and Ajim Anderson be able to go again? Is there any thoughts of changing the makeup of the 11 at all?
5: Uh, look we'll have to have a look
1: once we get to ranchy we'll get on the plane tomorrow
5: we'll get there um, absolutely it was hot out here it was it was hard it was hot um, you know 35 37 degree temperatures and spending as long as what we did out there um, in the most favourable batting conditions was was no wonder the guys um, were cooked I was really pleased with their efforts um, and you know, if you look at you know even Jimmy Anderson running around in the outfield and he bowled as many overs that he had in that heat doing that. Mark Wood the same. You know, all those guys. So I was really pleased with a lot of aspects that happened and and you can see the investment from the guys. Um, once we get to Ranchi, we'll work out how things are. We'll check out the health on everyone. Uh, we'll look at the conditions. We'll work out what the best 11 is and then we'll
1: we'll climb in. And finally, just in the kind of case of wanting to back your players all the way, if Joe came up to you and said, I think I'm going to put the scoop away, would you be saying, no, mate, back yourself in, get it out again?
5: it's not a conversation we'd have to be honest um, I mean he's Joe Root right Like, he can do whatever he wants He's he's been phenomenal throughout his entire career he's been phenomenal since the skipper and I took over in this in this role um, statistically I think he's not that I'm big on stats but I think he's gone he better now than, than what he was before the skipper and I took over as well um, you know I think the game is slightly different these days as well and the fact that you know, the, the risk element of some of these shots I've seen Joe practice that shot so many times and he's executed it beautifully so many times as well, in fact he gets out doing it um, you know, it, it does bring a bit of noise with it but look he's, he's Joe Root he's had three quiet tests with the bat I thought he was, he was looking a little bit more grooved in this test, this test match um, law of averages would suggest that you back him in for a couple of big ones in the next two test matches
2: it was Brenda McCullum uh, chatting to our man on tour in India, Cameron Ponsonby. I have to ask you straight away, Harmy. Ben was very, very clear himself about the his workload management or building up his workload, I should say, um, as a bowler and all rounder. And he was quite categorically clear before the tour started that he would not bowl in this uh, in this series. And we saw him in Hyderabad, you know, bowling maybe 10 balls off two or three paces and he, he did not look like a man <laughs> who who might play a role in, you know, a month's time. But um, it did sound there like, like he's making a lot quicker progress than he or anybody else thought.
3: Yeah, it looks as though natural. You know, Ben Stokes has got, you know, he, he seems to have a high pain threshold. He gets himself back fit very, very quickly. We've seen to get himself ready for the first test match, what he's had to go through after having a knee operation. I can't see him bowling at all. I think it would be ill-advised if he did bowl. Um, I think there's a lot more cricket further down the line, more important cricket further down the line for Ben Stokes to be fully fit for. Whether that's back bowl field and as captain, just for the sake of members bowling five overs here or five overs there in in the fourth or the fifth test match. So I'd be very, very surprised. I'd be amazed if the medical staff... Let him on the field with bowling boots on, first and foremost, <laughs> just to make sure and preserve preserve the rest of his um you know his bowling career because I think you know, this summer balancing the side out and what's to come i.e ashes away and things like that Ben Stokes is going to be so crucial in 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 England's the side balance going forward I think we've seen the problems we've had in this series I I just don't see him I, 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 you know bowling anymore any in sorry anytime soon so that's it will be a surprise if Ben does bowl when you look at the rest of the you know the group and the workload and everything that comes with it I don't see there being too many household changes you know, I think there'll be one or two I don't think besto's going anywhere he talks about root back in roots I think this is all down to Joe I think it's down to Joe's mindset how he constructs these innings if were we to have a go at one of the greatest of all time. Who are we to pick holes and faults in a player who averages fifty over 140 Test matches? He's gone through a, a difficult three Test matches where he's made either a poor execution or the you know, decision that, when he reflects on it, it probably wouldn't have made in you know in, in a different time. But now, for me, there's nothing wrong with Joe Root. Johnny Besto concerns me a little bit more, but. I still think Johnny Bairstow and Joe Root will take the place in the same top seven that have played for these first three test matches.
2: The Bairstow situation is is an awkward one. Um, but the reality is that uh, his last 10 test innings in India, all right, so six here and uh, four on the last tour, he's made four noughts and has a, a higher score of 37. He's a hard pitch batsman, isn't he? I mean, he likes the ball coming on. I just don't know. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the last test match in Rajkot, he lasted seven balls, so it's tough to drop a bloke when he's been at the crease for seven balls. He, he, it's not long enough to know whether he's he's hitting them nicely or not. But it, it does, it, you know. This there, you know, you know personally that that loyalty can is a vital thing in international cricket, but it it can be taken too far. It can be taken too far,
3: um, but I think you've got to you take them. Set of numbers and he, Johnny can't get away from them. That's why I'm probably more worried about Johnny than, than I am at Joe. I look at Johnny's movements and he doesn't look as as quick on his feet as what he, he probably has been on 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 other tours. Whether that's pressure, whether he's he's just you know completely out of nick. The numbers you've just mentioned, you know, Ollie Pope before the first Test match. Do we play Ollie Pope in the series because his average score, his highest score in India was 34. He's he was averaging, you know, less than less than 15, and he goes and gets an unbelievable 196 to win the first Test match. So, I think you have to give a player like Besto that little bit more loyalty and time because of what he's done for you. Johnny plays this Test match. If Johnny plays a fourth and he plays a fifth, he's played 100 Test matches, you know, averaging mid 30s. Wicketkeeper every now and again, you know, all the way up and down the order. Johnny's been your your man that you've you've asked so many times, to do a job for you, whether it's to bat at number three, to bat at number five, keep wicket, all these things. So I think the loyalty can work both ways, and I think it should do it this time, but that's only going to last so long. Johnny's going to have to get himself out of it. I think if I was Brendan McCollum, in the positivity that McCollum-Stokes gives, I'd be putting my arm around Johnny and telling him how good he is and, you know, why he is still one of regarded as one of the IPL best players. You're back at number five and just go and hit the ball. You know, at the minute he seems as though the ball's hitting him. You know you go and hit the ball. And if you get out, you know, slog him one up in the air, well it's better than being t- timid and the ball hitting you on the pad when you've missed it by a foot, because you're not mentally, you know, feeling as though you're going at the ball and you're going to try and hit the ball. So I think I'd be encouraging him if I was McCullum to go and be ultra aggressive um, because that seems to be your more natural game, Johnny Bairstow. And, and hopefully he does that in the fourth test.
2: Okay. And just finally, we've given up the, the old conventional views Oh well, you you don't do that in test matches and you wouldn't do that in terms of selection uh, because, um, you know, we thought that there was no way England would play three spinners and one seamer. <laughs> That's exactly what they did in Hyderabad. So um and i know that you probably will say you don't you don't want to go in with two new seamers um you don't want to replace wood and anderson they are back to back test matches we have been led to believe that mark wood won't play back back to back test matches so the possibility does arise that uh, robinson and gus atkinson could uh, could both be selected if england go two seamers again in ranchi
3: yeah, we, we don't understand we, because obviously we're, we're on the ground in, in Vizag. We could see that they were probably going to you know, make the decisions that they were going to make, same with Hyderabad. We didn't really understand what was going to happen in, in Riadjkot and with the same little bit from, from 5,000 miles away, what's going to happen in, in Ranchi, what the pitch is looking like. I think the balance of the attack looked better with two seamers, two seamers, two spinners and, and obviously Joe. I would like them to play... If again we're on a similar surface, I'd like to play two seamers. I'd do everything I possibly could to make Mark Wood player. Um, because I think he give us the point of difference, especially in that first innings. If you lose the toss, a little bit of pierce through the air. Um I wouldn't have a problem with them both being rolled out again Wood and Anderson, if Anderson's in a position to do that. But I think because of you know freshness, England might go Robinson over Anderson. And I'd keep Wood in the side. You know, if you're going to gamble, you've got to, you've got to try and win two test matches. You've got to gamble. You've got to pick your best bowlers. And for me, your best two seamers are Wood and Anderson. But if there is any sort of hangover from, from what happened in Riad Scott, the short turnaround, and if it is going to be too much for one of them, and if Anderson's the one that makes where, then you've got a able deputy in, in Robinson. First time seeing him in this series, but I do everything in my power to make sure Mark Wood plays. You know, he plays this five five days and then you don't play him in the last Test match. But I think you've got to win. You've got to have your X factor bowler. And for me, you know, Wood has to play in this in this game. If you feel as though you're going to play two seamers as opposed to playing three spinners.
2: And a reminder: you can hear live and exclusive ball by ball commentary whoever plays. Uh, of that fourth test match between India and England right here on TalkSport 2 starting this Friday. You're listening to Following On on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Okay, next up in part three, we'll turn our attention to India.
6: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
2: you're listening to following on here on Talksport 2 with me neil manthorpe alongside former england fast bowler steve harmison And uh, as always, if you've missed any of the show and you want to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm delighted to say that we are now joined by Chetan Narula, who uh, was part of the commentary team for the first two test matches and uh, as no doubt enjoying India's uh, remarkable comeback. I say remarkable. I mean, it was not unexpected. But Rohit Sharma clearly didn't just want to win in Rajkot, Chetan. He wanted to win as large and as painfully as he possibly could. Jaiswal was extraordinary. But but yeah, I mean, Rohit wanted that really big statement win, didn't he? And he got it.
7: Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, if you remember, you, you know, the first Test match we had discussed about how India were not really prepared at, you know, what baseball would throw at them. And they, when, when they caught what they threw at them, they were probably not executing their plans very well. It's been almost a month since then. And the Indian team has a bit of a habit of starting slowly in long series, you know, trying to figure out what the opposition is doing, especially when an opposition is like this, which uh, tends to throw a lot of surprises or is rather unpredictable. So from that perspective, I think India now know what to expect from basketball they know that they're going to play in a certain manner with a certain intensity and now i think uh, you know india know how to get the better of that mannerism of basketball so as to say Um, i think the only thing missing from india's armory was um you know to stop zach crowley and ben duckett with the new ball the way they get off to very very quick starts and then they did that. They improved that in the second innings as well. So, yeah, if, it, if Roy Sharma was looking for a statement win, I think he got it. I think this is, in my memory, the worst beating that baseball has taken. And they should go back to the drawing boards. Because, look, I'm a baseball convert. I love basketball, having witnessed it firsthand in the first two test matches. It's, it's a high-risk maneuvering of, uh, you know, cricket styles, intensity, mannerisms, whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, I understand the no regrets approach, but it should not stop you from using your brain and playing the situation. That's my only thing against basketball. That's the one thing that I would say is still remaining. So if England can manage to, you know, uh, get over that, probably this is going to be an even better series with two test matches remaining. But yes, what a comprehensive win for India.
3: Yeah, I agree with, you know, England could have been been smarter, Chen, but I think... The, the, to break the opening partnership, I don't think it was anything that down to India. I think it was down to Cumani Sina and Joel Wilson <laughs> their ability to stick their finger up was, oh. was was that. But I'm not I'm not bitter against the you know, umpire's call, but I, I you know I think when you I've got I've said it a couple of times now, Rohit Sharma, I think has got the grips of how to combat England's positive positive approach, and you know, in Jaiswal, have got. I mean, an absolute superstar. But can we give England credit here for changing India's mentality, Chetan? Because with Kirraul out, with Virat Kohli out, it could easily have gone and possibly would have gone in the past, gone back to Pajara. But no, you go to Safraz, who, another little jack-in-the-box in the the middle of the order who runs the ball around in a positive manner. Is, Is England having an effect on India's selection for a test matches um, and more of a positive outcome of the way they're looking at playing.
7: You know, I mean, I I really do not want to disagree with you. And with all due respect, I have to say no. I would rather give uh, all the credit to Ajit Agarkar, who's the chief selector. Because for the last two, two and a half years, India has been on the cusp of this transition. I I personally felt that uh, dumping Chiteshwar Pujara was a bit unfair. But it was after the World Test Championship when Rohit Sharma clearly said that if I stay on as test captain, I want my team to be batting in a certain way. Pujara used to take up a lot of deliveries, used to take up a lot of time to get going. It was not sitting well with the team management. It had been happening for the last two, three years. I don't want to blame Pujara. Like I said, my personal opinion is that he was unfairly dubbed. So this transition was waiting to happen. It has been pushed across probably because of the unavailability of Virat Kohli, the injuries that Indian middle order has had. Shreyas Ayer not uh, using his brains when batting. You know, it should have been Shreyas Ayer batting that way. Sarfraz Khan showed how you can smash spinners while not throwing away your wickets every 10 minutes. Ideally, that should have been Shreyas Ayer because he's a fantastic player against spin. But he got punished because he was throwing his wicket away when he was presented with the opportunity to cement his side. So these youngsters, you know, you name Yashasvi Jaiswal, Shubman Gill, probably a bit touch reserved but sarfaraz khan that's how he bats he has a point to prove these guys this is how they bat they they are coming prepared from the ipl factory they've they have uh, the experience of facing international bowlers they are from the modern day school of cricket where they they're not just going to hang around they're going to play their shots so while i do agree to a certain extent that india has changed some of its plans to cater to england I'm not sure, you know, they deserve that much credit. Let's let's call it what it is. They've just lost by four hundred r- runs. Let's give all the credit right now to India.
2: Okay, talking of the IPL, um, yeah. there's a fascinating story brewing in Indian cricket that I'm sure you'll be able to shed some light on, and that is the the participation of players in the Ranji Trophy. Now, the IPL has been built up to be the Greatest tournament in the world, and it is. Um, It's the most valuable, certainly. And you've got the situation now where Jay Shah, the secretary of the BCCI, is warning players that there there would be severe implications uh, for those who refuse to play in the Ranji Trophy, prioritising, in other words, prioritising the IPL. But isn't that exactly what Jay Shah and the BCCI wanted when they created this behemoth of a tournament? The IPL is, after all, the, the, you know, the greatest, largest, most enormous cricket tournament in the history of the game. And Ishan Kishan um, has, I, know, I don't know what the situation is there, but he's apparently refused to play Ranji Trophy. And a few other players seem to be following in his lead. So you know, it's, it's IPL, and I mean, you—that's what—that's what the BCCI wanted when they built it.
7: <laughs> not, not entirely. I mean, uh, Neil, look, even during the pandemic years, when the IPL happened at all costs, they, they took the tournament midway to the UAE again, hosted in the UAE. The red ball cricket was happening. I mean, we did have a caravan style. Ranji tournament happening. All the rest of the tournaments, the white ball tournaments, stopped. The IPL and the Ranji tournaments were happening. The India A tours perhaps stopped, but the Ranji Trophy is always given that importance. is always given due credence. Uh, Safaraz Khan, you know, he's he's come from the Ranji Trophy. He hasn't he he has no record so as to speak off in the IPL. His resurgence has come from the Ranji Trophy. Yashasvi Jaiswal is a product both of the IPL and of the Ranji Trophy. He's got a mountain of runs in the Ranji Trophy as well. The, the message that is being sent out is probably against the selectors who were in place for the last couple of years who gave more credence to performances in the IPL and picked players based on IPL performances and not so much on domestic cricket, which is something that this BCCI management is trying hard to change. You look at what Ajit Agarkar is trying to do as the chairman of selectors, he's giving due credence to both IPL performances as also to the Ranji performances. The case of Ishan Kishan is entirely different. Something happened on that tour of South Africa where he was not very happy with the selection of some players in the squad where he probably felt threatened and used that as an excuse to walk out and say, okay, you know what, I'm not mentally ready at the moment. I think he's not being advised properly at this moment because if he thinks that he can don pads and go and do some wicket keeping drills but not play ranji cricket and then walk back into the indian team that's not going to happen players have picked fights with the bcci in the past they never come out on top against the bcci so you know somebody is not really advising ishan <laughs> kishan very well at the moment some other players somebody like a hardik pandya he's just coming back he doesn't play too much first class cricket Ronald Pandya, maybe he should be playing first-class cricket. Last year, he had some, some issues, some personal stuff with a couple of players over the last couple of years. So I don't know his reasons for not playing it. But again, players who take on the BCCI in such manner, they do not come out on top. And I sincerely do hope that Ishan Kishan, uh, you know, gets his head right and somebody starts advising him properly to, to come back and play red ball cricket. I mean, the IPL will always be there, but due credence needs to be given to the Ranji Trophy at all times.
3: And what about this week, Jetton? Fourth test match. Do India do India leave Bumra out? Do the rest Jadija? Is Keir Raul, is, is Raul coming back in? Where do you see you know, India? Do they make two changes? Do they make three changes? Did the Axar come in for Jadija after what was a, obviously a play-of-the-match performance but carrying a little bit of an injury? What's going to be the balance of the, uh, the Indian side?
7: uh from what i'm hearing today kl rahul is fit and he'll be back for uh, this fourth test match in ranchi so i expect rajat patidar to be left out surfaraz khan you can't drop him at this moment you know with those two half centuries Jaspreet bumrah is almost 95 to 98% certain to be rested from the ranji sorry from the Ran- ranchi match they might opt to play another pacer mukesh kumar because they like to play two pacers as we have often discussed uh, and, and then not use the second pacer, although the second pacer was quite a handful in this test match. I think they will go to Ranchi and see how the pitch is going to behave and then maybe take a call. But again, I would be very surprised if they don't play a second pacer because that's just not the way Rahul Dravid orchestrates his team combination. So I do believe they'll still play two paces, Siraj and probably Mukesh Kumar. And then um, uh, Jadeja, depending on his fitness, will will continue continue playing.
2: Final word, Chetan, on Yashasvi Jaiswal. Yeah. Um, the whole of the rest of the world is now sort of sitting up and going, "Oh my goodness me, a star is born!" But he's obviously been around uh, for a number of years now, and maybe people didn't watch the IPL and haven't seen him haven't seen him score runs there. But did you and 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 your colleagues and and your your friends did you know that that he He might be capable of of this kind of level of performance i mean he's he's got a hundred and two double hundreds in his first five test matches um and it's not just the sixes and the fours and it, you know i mean he he had eighteen off his first fifty balls in Raj so he's obviously a very very fine thinker as well as a ball striker.
7: Well, uh, we did expect big things from Yesha as Jaiswal. Well. There's just no doubt about it. I mean, he has, like I mentioned earlier, he has the runs in the Ranji Trophy. He's learned a lot from the IPL. That one season where he didn't score runs and Joss Butler was scoring runs, I think we had that conversation. I think he's learned a lot from Joss Butler where to pick his moment and come out with those big shots. Just, you know, he's become a clutch player all of a sudden. It's It's been in the works for the last two years. I think that's the big change that I've seen in his batting personally. So. I think uh, he's, a, he's a sharp thinker. He knows when to take his chances, not just in scoring shots, but also when he's in such great form, he just wants to keep batting. And I think uh, that can be seen in the way that he did come out to bat. You know, the next day he, he got treatment on his back and he just came out to bat and scored those extra 100 runs. He's, he's exceeded expectations in a way because he was, he was the first in this, trans- in, in this transition to come along. Gill moved down to number three. He came to open the innings, scored those runs in West Indies. But the jury was still out. And we thought, okay, you know what? He still needs to go to South Africa, to Australia, to England. And the South Africa tour was coming up. Didn't go really well because the pitches were really tough. But then England at home, that was going to be another big test. And he's passed it with flying colours. More than flying colours. And if I can just say so, everybody's in love with Yasha Swich as well. I was flying from Vizak to Mumbai after the second test match. He came from business class to economy class to be with his friends. Everybody got up to take a picture with him. And he's like, I don't mind. I don't mind. These are just a few pictures. There's just not going to be few pictures anymore. Everybody, wherever he goes, is going to want to take a picture with him. His life has changed. Indian cricket has changed for the better with the arrival of Yasha Jaiswal. And along with Shubman Gill and uh, Sarfraz Khan, I think they, they might just spearhead India's transition over the next two, three years.
2: I just hope it doesn't lead to more 10-year-olds leaving home to pursue their dreams.
7: <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a great story, isn't it? I mean, uh, I hope it inspires people in the right way, not leave their homes, because we have a lot of academies and um, facilities coming up in every, co- every corner of the country. So I hope no 10-year-old has to leave his home, but gets that opportunity where he is. But I do hope it inspires more Yashasweevs.
2: Chetan, thank you so much for your time. Look forward to uh, the fourth test very, very much indeed. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Pleasure. That was Chetan Narula, who was uh, a part of our commentary team for the first two test matches. You're listening to Following On here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Durham Hall of Famer, Steve Harmison. And a reminder that uh, you can hear live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of the fourth test between India and England, right here on TalkSport 2, starting this Friday. will be on air at 3.30am UK time um, with the first ball at 4 o'clock. Now then, Mike Proctor, who English cricket lovers, particularly Gloucestershire fans, will uh, remember with enormous fondness, passed away on Saturday at the age of 77. As with many great players, there, there is always a debate about the standard and intensity of the game between different eras. However, with Mike Proctor, that isn't the case. He played his cricket in the seventies, but he bowled with undoubted pace and hostility and his runs were extraordinary. Uh, He scored at one point six hundreds in consecutive first class games. Uh, and And so he could bat at four, did bat at four, opened the bowling and, When his knees went, because of his famously long run-up, he turned to off-spin and took another 150 wickets, first-class wickets, bowling off-spin. He really was um, a cross-generational cricketer. And uh, he became South Africa's first coach when they returned to international cricket after isolation. And uh, his favourite moment, and he played a massive role in this game, actually, was uh, when South Africa played their first Test at Lords after a break of twenty nine years, um, and they went on to win that game by three hundred and fifty six runs late on the fourth evening, and this was uh, Prockey four years ago when he was still serving as a match referee, reflecting on of all his cricketing achievements on the field. This was his his favourite moment of his career when he was coach of the South African team, which won that return to Lords in 1994. This was him talking four years ago.
6: We got back into international cricket in 92 because we were fortunate enough to go to the World Cup. And people must remember that uh, Nelson Mandela was only inaugurated in 94. It wasn't 92. So cricket had the blessing of of the ANC and had the blessing of uh, Nelson Mandela. Otherwise, we certainly wouldn't have got back into test cricket in 92 and we wouldn't have played in that World Cup. But we had their blessing, and it was, you know, I, I sort of uh, dedicated that uh, that victory to Nelson Mandela because it was uh, it was something very special. Uh, being back in England, you know, cr- England's very been very close to my heart, and learned uh, learned most of my cricket in England. And um, to come back at Lords and win a Test match the way we did was 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 pretty special. And Lords is one of those grounds, you know. Cricketers around the world are asked, which is your favourite ground. Where, which country, whatever, and in my mind, there's actually it's not even a question because Lord's just has everything. It has the the traditions. It's just, it's just, it's just a beautiful place to play cricket. And I was very fortunate that I've, I've always always done well at that ground. It really seems to bring out the best in me. That was Mike Proctor,
2: who passed away on Saturday at the age of uh, seventy-seven. Reflecting, um, Harmy, I will tell you why he played such a big role in that. Um, there was a series of iconic photographs of South Africa on the Lord's dressing room balcony with the new South African flag draped over the, the railings. And it was fascinating because, as I said, it was South Africa's first game at Lords for 29 years. And less than three months before that game, the new South African flag had been revealed, unveiled for the first time. And a lot of white South Africans were sceptical about the future, cynical about about the, change, um, the changes that were occurring in South Africa. And a, a number of them didn't have this new flag, the South African supporters, and a couple of old South African flags, which of course were associated with apartheid, appeared in the Lord's stands. And I know that banners and posters um, are always banned at Lord's, but they reiterated that any flags and banners and posters were banned at Lord's. And Procky actually, <laughs> and I, will never forget. It. He said, he he said, I know what I know about Lord's regulations because, of course, he meant, spent many years playing there. He said they're not take they're not going to stop me taking this flag in, and he smuggled it in um, on the third day, and uh, and then very proudly he said, I want the world to see the new South African flag. They're not going to stop me from waving my flag and he took it in there and of course it was uh, photographed and has been displayed for years and years and years and i i'll never forget saying to him it seems um unusually prescient now but i did say to him at the time i said Prockey, the number of photographs that were taken with you with that south african flag on the lords Change room i said you know that you might be remembered more for that than anything you did on the field um in years to come and he 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 laughed and he said I hope so.
3: Yeah, a great man, great memories. And heard a lot about Mike Proctor through the likes of Jeff Cook, who was the director of cricket, coach at Durham. Jeff was of that generation, you know, that great generation of players when two overseas was playing. And, you know, a lot of the South African players who weren't playing at national cricket were playing in in England in first-class cricket. Gloucestershire will, will obviously mourn the, the passing of of one of their probably greatest ever Overseas players, and manners. You, you, obviously, you knew him a lot better than, than I did. His hunger for the game and drive for the game to be better, not just in South Africa but around the world. Because obviously, going into the ICC panel and being a match referee. He had time for everybody. Wanted the, the game to be better. He, he, he managed the game very, very well when he was a referee. But he was part of that sort of golden generation of South Africans who were lost to international cricket, the likes of Graham Pollock. We've heard Mike Proctor there talk to us during a, a rain delay in South Africa a few years ago. Barry Richards was another one. These guys were... Their stats from an international point of view will not tell the, the true story of not just how great great players there were, but great you how know, great characters there were in the game.
2: And Graham Pollock, of course, is uh, the, most, the most obvious one. Um, he finished... Uh his 27 test matches with an average of, of over 60. You're right. There were a number of ways to look at the, the isolation when South Africa were, were prevented from for, for 20 years from playing international cricket. But there's no doubt that it was the right decision. Um, and and Prockey accepted that. You know, he he played seven test matches and took 41 wickets at 15. And overall... His, his numbers are just astonishing. He took 1,417 first-class wickets at 19 and a half. Okay, 1,417 wickets at 19 and a half, but add in almost 22,000 runs, including 4,800s and and 50s. It was truly astonishing. I, I think, Harmi, I'm right in saying that that he is the only player after whom a county was renamed because they the, they called Gloucestershire Proctorshire, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they did.
3: Yeah, Proctorshire. But it, it didn't that in that time as well, man. As the, the, we're talking about, you know, talk, you know, we, we we always go about comparing. Yeah, you know, Stokes, Flintoff, Botham. But it, at that time, in around that time, you had the likes of Sir and Botham was a. Yeah, he was came a little bit after Prockie, but he's a little bit younger than Proctor, but. You, know, you had Kapil Dev, Botham, Richard Hadley, Imran Khan, Mike Proctor. What a great golden generation of all-rounders that was.
2: Yeah, and nobody suggests that Proctor wouldn't have been amongst them, if not at the very top. I mean, it, it sounds scandalous to, to suggest uh, that he might have been better than any of those names that you've just mentioned, <laughs> but... um he, he was a, a, a truly astonishing, astonishing cricketer. And and I just want to reiterate the point that he had no bitterness about the price that uh, he and other players of his generation paid by not playing more international cricket. Vince van der Beel, who, of course, had that astonishing season when he took 80 wickets for Middlesex in 1981... Uh, he was at the very forefront of saying we should never have played international cricket. He didn't, of course. Vince didn't. But um, Barry Richards played four test matches and finished with an average of 72. <laughs> he got 200s in four tests against Australia. But it was... <laughs> if you think of the price that many South Africans pay, the vast majority, over 90% of South Africans for, for decades and decades, I think the price they paid during apartheid you know, Vince van der and, Bale and Mike Proctor used to say, okay, so we missed out on 30 or 40 test matches. <laughs> it's a game of cricket. It's not a brutal apartheid regime that, uh, you know, that we're talking about. So yeah, um, he spent the last five years working actively with underprivileged uh, cricket clubs and 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 young players in Durban, his hometown, trying to uh, use the game as a tool to improve life and, and society so he will be very very sadly missed Tommy
3: yeah yeah sad time but great man
2: let's move on then to uh another story that just caught caught my eye it's quite remarkable actually Tim Southey and Kane Williamson played their 50th test matches together and they're now set to play their 100th test matches together Quite extraordinary that uh, that that they should be in such sync, and you know they've played their entire entire careers together, and um, and of course Williamson handed over the test captaincy to Southie um, eighteen months ago.
3: Yeah, two great players, two good. You know, you talk about you know Tim Southie playing his his hundredth test. I think his first test was a game I played in two thousand eight. A game I got dropped for one of the two in two thousand eight. So it just shows you the length of time. You know, he made his Test debut, I think, four, I think, four years, five years before Joe Root. So it just shows you how much cricket New Zealand player from a Test match point of view. But two great guys, two great characters. We've had Kane on the show. I'm disappointed that Trent Bolt's not involved because I think that would have been yeah, in New Zealand at full strength. Um, but to see Southie and Williamson get rewarded for you know, the, the, the longevity of their careers. Is uh, is great in New Zealand. Are getting they seem to be getting stronger, stronger and stronger. So you know, two two wonderful ambassadors of the game of cricket in not just in New Zealand but
2: um,
3: cricketers around
2: the world. Very quickly, Carl Jameson. So so sad for the big New Zealand all rounder, and it's one of the reasons that uh, Australia are so so sensitive uh, about the workload of of their big all-rounder Cameron Green but Jameson spent almost a year out of the game with a stress fracture of the back finally worked his way back to fitness got back into the team and he's out again and they reckon it'll be another year and it's another stress fracture of the back
3: it's sad very very sad especially in a in a country like New Zealand where from a financial point of view you are not as well looked after as possibly somewhere in England or somewhere like Australia or the more higher profile countries which have got you know bigger revenue streams to look after their players. You lose your central contract, then you don't have as as sort of you know good as good sort of being being looked after from a medical point of view. That is a concern for for somebody like Kyle Jamieson. You look at somebody like Pat Cummins, England, Australia wait six years, seven years for him. England might have to wait the same length of time for for Geoffrey Archer. Have New Zealand got the financial capabilities to look after somebody for such a long period of time, um, knowing that he might never play the game again? That is some difficult times ahead for Carl Jim, he's gone through quite a bit already in his career. So we wish him well, because he is a very very talented cricketer. But what the future holds is uh, it would be a, would be a concern for for the big fast bowler.
2: Okay, it's time for the final word. We've just got a couple of uh, minutes left, or one minute left. And I thought this week, Harmy, um we had to give the final word to Ben Duckett. At the end of day three, he said, whatever they set us, we'll have fun chasing them down. The more, the merrier. I honestly don't know what to make of this. I mean, I like the optimism, but is he having a laugh? I mean, in some parts of the world, they'd call him a chop for saying that.
3: Yeah, I, I must admit, when I, when I seen that and I heard that, I was like, really, Ben, do you... You wanna go down that you wanna go down that road because they're gonna give you at least five fifty and you know, you're like we said earlier in the show, they're gonna get bowled out in a session or they're gonna get really close to it. Over there, big statements like that, they do come back sometimes to bite you on the backside. Cricket has a way of biting you on the backside. He played an unbelievable innings, which I think is largely getting forgetting about, to be honest. His his hundred and fifty five is largely being forget about because of how poorly England ended the game. But he's coming out with statements like, the more the merrier. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. But hey, (laughs) I love his optimism. I understood what he was trying to say. He was trying to give the big I am to the dressing room. We can get whatever these lot give us. And unfortunately, the history of the game tells you not many times over 250, between 250 and 350 is chased in the fourth innings anywhere in the world. And um, the more the merrier. Oh, 122 all out says everything from uh, from that point of view. But yeah, you know, we like your spirit and keep batting the way you're batting, Ben. But yeah, you know, tone the not toning it down a little bit, but yeah, you know, a little bit like what I have to do sometimes. Think before you speak.
2: <laughs> You've been listening to following on here on TalkSport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available as always from the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week to look back at the fourth test between India and England. Every ball, of course, live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2.